hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You kind of just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're gonna make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams, and I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new, real-life stories of hope and triumph, told by the people who live them. Today's story comes to us from... Hi, my name is Alexandra Herrera. My clean date is 11-1-11, and I am the South Florida American Addiction Center's coordinator. I've been fighting my own thinking since the age of nine, since I can recall it. Even when I would look into the eyes of some other people right in front of me, my mind would tell me, don't talk, you're stupid, you're weird. And um, at the age of 15 was when I first experienced drugs. I didn't really fall in love until I did it again at 16. It was one day where my head told me that I wasn't even accepted by my own family and I chugged a cup of alcohol and I felt the freedom from my own thoughts and I finally felt like I didn't care what others thought or felt about me. And alcohol was my solution at the moment from my own thinking and from my own self. That's what happened before my addiction. Once I got in it and once I felt the relief that I felt that day, um, I actually experienced that in Chile. It was actually a vacation of me going to see my father's family that I hadn't seen for years. Um, I come from there. I came here at eight years old from my mom dying from thyroid cancer and I never went back. So that's where it started at that vacation when I came back. Um, it progressed pretty quickly. I got a fake ID. <laughs> I drank every single day after school while watching my soul poppers. I still went to school. I still finished school and I was still a good student and a good girl, but not to my mother. I rebelled very quickly and I told her she lost her daughter. I didn't say I love you to that woman for probably till 23 when I got into recovery. So my addiction really did progress quickly. I didn't see anything wrong. But it started from alcohol, then ecstasy on the weekends, cocaine on the weekends. And then at 18 years old, when I graduated, it came to weed and everything else because I didn't know how to sit still with my own self. Um, at 20, I started messing around with opiates. And that's two weeks later, I knew there was a problem. And my path is the best thing ever because I had to realize that I had a problem with everything. And then I started my journey and recovery after that. I tried on my own to stop doing drugs. Um, I thought that I only had a problem with opiates and I tried stopping Roxy's on my own by getting Suboxone and Subutex from the streets. I also, that didn't work for me. I also tried um, church on my own. I was so desperate that I thought that maybe this God in society can help me and I did communion classes um, every Tuesday and every Tuesday I said I wouldn't use. Every Tuesday I used and on my baptism, after a couple months of doing the classes, I said this was going to be the day that I would stop using. And when the pastor poured down the water on my face, I didn't have tears of joy, even though everybody thought that I did. And I was actually the tears of hopelessness. So that after that, I had to look at myself in the mirror and tell myself that I couldn't care because I couldn't stop. And there was no point of caring anymore. And I had to put myself in that thinking mode because nothing I did can help me from stopping. And um, the day I stopped was October 31st, 2011, and it was due to an interventionist that I woke up to at eight o'clock in the morning. 
it wasn't really even that. It wasn't even that moment. She told me she had a cocaine problem. I was freakishly very calm, and I told her that I was very proud of her, and I looked at her in the eyes, but I couldn't wait for her to leave. Um, I had never gone for nine years without putting a substance in my body, and I couldn't wait for her to leave, but the thing about it is is that I pawned all my jewelry. I pawned all my mom's jewelry. I used every dollar. I used to collect quarters and nickels and dimes like that I can put in the public's coin master, and I didn't have a penny left. I had a cracked glass pipe with glass coming out of it, and I was scraping the residue of weed just so I can get something into my system because I had nothing left. The cops knocked on my door. They came in, they told me they were gonna Baker Act me, and I looked at them scary, freakishly calm again, and I told them, you can't Baker Act me, I'm not acting crazy, correct? And they said, you're right, what do you have to lose? And that's when I said, fine, really angry and irritated. I said, fine, just take me. And I went to treatment that day. I was pissed. On the second day in treatment, I felt the feeling of relief. Finally, from the first time in treatment, I felt safe from my own self. It was the first time that I didn't have to put a substance in my body. And I thought, maybe something does love me enough to have me here. Because I tried on my own to stop using drugs for so many years that I had lost hope. And even just by the second day of not having to use, I knew that it was going to be okay again. So I started to listen. They told me I had the disease of addiction. I had never even heard that phrase in a sentence. And I asked them, what is that? They told me it was those negative thoughts that I've been having since I was young. I finally saw 103 other clients that were in there full of pain and shame and fear of the future, and I finally knew that I wasn't alone. For the first time in my life in a rehab center, I knew that I wasn't alone and that maybe I had a purpose in life, and that's how it began. So my life, how it changed is that I did what they told me to do in treatment. I went to a halfway, even though my head was cursing everyone out that recommended these ideas. I wanted to say no, and I wanted to scream bad words at them, but I said okay out of my mouth, and I did what they told me to do. Um, they told me that to be open-minded, to go to halfway, to go to a 12-step meeting. I had no idea about 12-step fellowships. I didn't even know what they meant. I never used the word recovery in a sentence. I had no idea what was going on. But I did do what they told me to do, and um, I had to start fighting my own thoughts. I had start. I started fighting my own self on a daily basis, hour by hour, and I went to a halfway. I got a job. I took a ride on the bus for an hour and a half to work, back to work, and then walked my butt to a meeting every single night. I got a sponsor. I would call her. But for the first six months, I didn't do the fellowshipping part. And around six months clean, my head told me that it would be a good idea to take my life away because I was still feeling miserable and lonely. So I had to start getting uncomfortable. And I raised my hand at a meeting and I told them what was going on with me. And I started allowing people to talk to me. And when they invited me out, I started saying yes. I was still fighting my own self. I was still fighting my own fight. And the journey has continued ever since then. My thoughts don't control me and like, I know that a lot of us in recovery have those thoughts in our head, that little voice that is the same as my own, just always saying negative things, you know what I mean? And I know that like when I talk to someone else, the best thing is that being able to relate and being able to share my own experiences, even though they might be different than what they're gonna go through, it helps them, you know? It's like one hand grabbing the other and pulling each other through. It's that chain, you know, that we don't have to unlock hands and we just keep on pulling each other through. The fence about being in recovery basically is to always put one foot in front of the other 
and for me is not doing what I want to do, but always doing what I have to do. You know, that's a tip about being in recovery and in defense. But for the treatment part, it's a different one because if I'm using, I'm completely powerless over my using, over my drugs and my alcohol. So that would just be like, pick up the phone and ask for help, you know, and not give up on yourself because I always say this, and it's one of the things that I always tell my alumni, the shame is not in picking up the drug and the alcohol, the shame is not picking up the phone and dying out there because you thought it would be a better idea and it would be too shameful to pick up the phone instead I messed up. And that's where the shame is because then a mother loses their son or we just lose other people because of that, not picking up the phone and asking for help again because of shame. And that's a disease of addiction, how it talks to us in our own same voice.